So this is part three of a series on the Holy Spirit. Uh, we have looked, we did a general introduction, and then we, we looked last week at the baptism of the Spirit, terminology being filled, and when it happens, and how it happens, and all that. So uh, this week we're looking at Jesus and the Spirit. And this sort of this was tricky enough in terms of, I thought it would have been easier to find things in books to help me with this. I could find lots of stuff about what Paul says about the Spirit. I could find lots of stuff about what Jesus says about the Spirit. But what I felt really that, that the Lord was putting on me today was to look at the Spirit in the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus through the Gospels. Not just what he said about the Spirit, but how big a part did the Spirit play in his life and ministry. So we're nearly all gospel this morning. That'll be fun. I love talking about Jesus. Let's read just first of all from Isaiah, sometimes called the fifth gospel, because he had so much to say about the coming one. In Isaiah chapter 11, quite early on in his book, and probably about seven or 800 years before Jesus, Isaiah says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, Jesse being the father of David. So we're talking here about a a descendant of David who will come. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The picture of a a tree, of something new and fresh growing up from the, the stump of a tree. And verse 2 says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And I want to fire out a provocative little question as we start and then go on a, on a wee trip through the Gospels. The question is this, did Jesus need the Holy Spirit? Did Jesus need the Holy Spirit? Jesus is God, okay? John chapter 1, the Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus is, was God. No doubt about it, no question about it whatsoever. But did he need the Holy Spirit to do what he did? Um, How would I have answered that years ago? I'm not sure, I'll maybe... I think as a, probably as a young Christian, uh, I, I probably would have just said no straight off the bat. I would have said, no, Jesus was God, Jesus is God, and that's how he did what he did. But I've come to realize, I think, <laughs> that there are real problems with just saying that because it doesn't line up with a lot of what we read in the gospel. So Jesus was God, Jesus is God, But we're going to look at the Gospels, at the life of Jesus, and try to answer that question. Did he need the Holy Spirit during his ministry? Could he have done the things he did without the Holy Spirit? So as we had started with with Isaiah, let's um, continue uh, thinking about a couple of verses from Isaiah before we get to the Gospels. That Isaiah 11 verse 2, you may already know that there are seven sort of attributes of the Spirit mentioned there. Seven, you know, in the Bible, numbering, you know, 
alluding to completion and perfection. There are seven things there about the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, of understanding, of counsel, of might, of knowledge, and of fear of the Lord. And what Isaiah is saying seven or eight hundred years before Jesus is there is one coming who will be absolutely, completely, and utterly, and emphatically marked out by the Holy Spirit. All right? Sevenfold spirit will be upon this one who will come. And later in his prophecy, Isaiah says in, in chapter 42, verses 1 and 2, and I want you continually today, I didn't get time, I meant to go through and highlight it, and I didn't get time, but I want you to continually look out for the word spirit over and over again. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. And then Isaiah 61, last one before we get into the Gospels. This is one that Jesus himself quoted in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me. That idea, will come to it later, the, the, the Spirit and this idea of anointing. To proclaim good news to the poor. If you weren't poor before this winter, you might be poor by the end of it. To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives to, and release from darkness for the prisoners. So you know those verses and they go on with more and more of those things that this coming one will do with the Spirit of the Lord upon him. And so from that time on to the, the New Testament, the people are looking for one who is marked out by the Spirit by the Spirit. So that's what the prophets, or one of the prophets says. Let's look at the forerunner, the guy who came before Jesus, John the Baptist. Freaky John, okay. As he was, was it Freaky John in The Chosen? Creepy John? Freaky John? I can't remember which it was, but he was a bit weird. Um, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. It's the message that his parents get. Now, this is uncommon. <laughs> this is rare. In the, filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. That's one way of saying what this guy is going to do is really, really important. Hugely important. I don't know if anyone else was filled with the Holy Spirit before they were born. But John in Elizabeth's womb was filled with the Holy Spirit. So the forerunner, the prophets have talked about the Spirit. And the forerunner who's coming before Jesus to do his job, has to be filled with the Spirit even before he is born. What about Jesus himself, his conception? Mary questioned the angel who came to her in Luke chapter 1 about how on earth she could become pregnant as a virgin. And the, the, the angel answered, The Holy Spirit, verse 35, will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit is at work in Jesus' conception. I have no idea. Just, you know, how did the, how did the internal biology just work <laughs> at that moment? The Spirit who, who hovered over the, the dark waters in creation and brought order out of chaos is now hovering over Mary's womb and bringing life from her womb. In Matthew 1... Joseph is, is spoken to as well about, or, you know, by an angel. And we record in Matthew 1.18 that his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. 
Right? We're being emphatic here. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is involved. And in, in 120, when the angel comes to Joseph and says, don't leave Mary, don't put her away quietly, don't abandon her, take her home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So in Jesus' conception, the Holy Spirit is at work miraculously, powerfully, in a way that is hard to, to get your head around and explain. And not only in, in his own conception and in, in Mary's womb, but also in the lives of others around the time that he was in Mary's womb and after he was born. While he was in the womb, Mary and Elizabeth met, and you've got this incredible picture of one pregnant lady and another pregnant lady and they meet together and the spirit is, is in both of them and the baby in Elizabeth's womb leapt. John leapt. He did a somersault. I don't know what, you know, but he just, he, the spirit was in him and he couldn't resist it. You've got this beautiful picture of spirit meeting spirit. And also in the infancy of Jesus, as he's brought to the temple uh, to be dedicated to the Lord, there's a man there called Simeon. And we talked about him not that long ago, or in my memory, it doesn't seem that long ago, but maybe it was. Uh, and in Luke 2.25, we read again, the Holy Spirit was on this guy. It just wasn't some random punter in the temple who happened to be there and got lucky on the day that the glory came back to the temple. The Holy Spirit was on him. Luke 2.26, it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before seeing the Lord's Messiah. 27, moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. The, you see, the Spirit is active everywhere. In the prophets, in John the Baptist, in, in Mary and in Elizabeth, in Simeon and others who are involved in Jesus' childhood. And then... This guy, John the Baptist, that we mentioned earlier and said that he would be filled with the Spirit before he is born. He would have an immense job to do. He's the one who got to baptize Jesus and to declare that Jesus would baptize others with the Holy Spirit. All four Gospels record this, the statement of, of John. And in Mark 1 verse 9, Jesus is baptized by John. You know the story. In verse 10, the skies open it's beautiful language that Mark uses in, in chapter 1, verse 10. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw the heaven being torn open. He's quoting Isaiah 64, 1, where Isaiah prays, Oh, that you would rend the heavens, tear open the heavens, and come down. And Mark says, we, we saw this. <laughs> the heaven was torn open, and the Spirit descended on him like a dove. Again, spirit over the water. Genesis 1, 1 and 2, the spirit hovering over the water. New creation is, is happening. Jesus is going to be enacting God's work of new creation and the spirit comes upon him. And in verse, 20, or in verse 11, the voice comes from heaven and says, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now that is very similar to Isaiah 42 that we read earlier. My chosen one, in whom I delight, I will put my spirit on him. At Jesus' baptism, the spirit comes on him and, and God declares, you are my son whom, I'm, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And John then knew in, in chapter 1 and verse 33 of John's gospel, he knew who Jesus was because the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. 
So it was the identifying thing. It was the thing that caused John the Baptist to say, he's the one. It was the Spirit coming upon him that allowed John to recognize him. So this anointing that Jesus has, it's a picture from from the Old Testament where, where people would have been anointed with oil. And Jesus is anointed with the Holy Spirit at his baptism. Three different people were commonly anointed with oil in the Old Testament. Prophets were anointed with oil. And Jesus is going to fulfill the role of a prophet. For example, Elisha in 1 Kings 19 Uh, Elijah is told to anoint Elisha to succeed him as prophet. Priests are anointed. In Exodus 40, Moses is told to dress Aaron in sacred garments, anoint him and consecrate him to serve as a priest. And I think most importantly, kings. I think this is one of the most important verses that that I've come across just in thinking about this in terms of what it meant for Jesus to be anointed at his baptism. Samuel in 1 Samuel 16 is in the role of John the Baptist. David is in the role of Jesus. And where Samuel takes a horn of oil and anoints David in the presence of his brothers, from that day on the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. So John the Baptist baptizes Jesus and then the Spirit comes upon him powerfully from that day. So Jesus is prophet and he is priest and he is king. And this, this anointing comes upon him from the spirit, which comes and gives him power. In, in Acts, it's summed up by Luke in Acts 10, 38, that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And if you're reading your New Testament, look out for the link, the constant repeated link between the spirit and power. Okay, power. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went around doing good, healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. All right? Not just a sort of a pat answer of, well, he was God and he did lots of God stuff. He was. Please don't misunderstand me. He was. He is. But God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and par, and then he did those things because God was with him. I've just noticed, and I probably will forget to mention it, but you see, because God was with him, I might come back to that later. I might not. In Hebrew, the word Messiah means anointed. Messiah or Messiah, I think it's maybe pronounced, which obviously is where we get the word Messiah from. In Greek, the word anointed is the word Christos, from which we obviously get the word Christ. Christ is not his surname, okay? It's just, it's not like Jesus is his first name that his mates called him and then he was Mr. Christ to everybody else. It is not a surname. It is a title. He is Jesus, the anointed one. The one who has been anointed. Anointed with what? Anointed with the Spirit, okay? Jesus, the one anointed with the Spirit. Now, what does it look like whenever you've been filled, anointed, or baptized with the Holy Spirit? I have seen sort of statements of faith and, and things on, you know, Pentecostal websites and whatever, where it says, you know, that people must be baptized with the Spirit, evidenced by speaking in tongues. And I'm all for speaking in tongues, but I'm going to tell you there's a heck of a lot more that evidences the Holy Spirit in your life than that. <laughs> 
Okay, and as I said last week, I'm aware of plenty of mature believers who are passionate about the Holy Spirit who don't actually speak in tongues. So don't let that become a thing that makes you feel lesser. But what are some signs that you've been filled or baptized or anointed with the Spirit? Let's use Jesus as our example and continue to go through the Gospels. And we were, we just, in Mark 1, we've just seen Jesus baptized, heaven torn open, Spirit comes on a dove, like a dove, Awesome, beautiful, lovely. In 1 verse 11, that's the verse, the next verse, the voice comes from heaven. Just fantastic. All awesomeness all at once at the River Jordan that day. That's Mark 1.10, Mark 1.11. Let's see what wonderful thing is going to happen next in the life of one who has just been anointed by the Spirit. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. First thing that happens, listen to me because this helps me understand some of my life and might help you understand some of yours. First thing that happens after Jesus is anointed with the Spirit is spiritual warfare. Straight away into battle. All right? Not often used as a a picture of the Spirit-filled life. You know, would you like to be filled with the Spirit today? (laughs) Afterwards, you may be going toe-to-toe with Satan. But that's what happened to Jesus. The Spirit actually, in in Mark chapter 1, where it says the Spirit sent him out, that's that's sort of polite language. It says the Spirit cast him out. (laughs) It's the same word that is used whenever Jesus casts out demons. The Spirit didn't didn't sort of gently lead him or, or... nudge him the spirit drove him into this place of battle drove him into it the anointing of of the spirit does not excuse us from temptation it does not protect us from battle or cause us to somehow avoid it or have a life that that is that is all sort of comfy and wrapped in cotton wool quite the opposite as soon as jesus was anointed by the spirit he was thrust into a spiritual battle that went on for the rest of his life do you want to be filled with the spirit do you want to be baptized in the holy ghost it comes it should come with a disclaimer you're not being given a gun to go onto a safe firing range to fire at a target in the distance and enjoy yourself you're being equipped for war combat Men love playing with guns and firing ranges, don't we? We don't, we don't maybe get to do it as often as we like, but we just love the you know, wee thing off in the distance. And still remember that night we went with Tim and we were sitting with air guns and we were the boys, like, <laughs> shooting party poppers down the field. <laughs> Some people, I think that's their picture of the Holy Spirit. I've got this thing now that I, that's got a bit of power and I can play with it and enjoy myself. It's not what Jesus did. Jesus was straight into battle. Look at the explosion in in demonic activity. We're still in Mark chapter 1. In verse 21, this is the first thing Jesus does after he's come out of the wilderness. Out of the the, the sort of 40 days of temptation and, and battle with Satan. Comes out, calls the disciples. They go to Capernaum. When the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. Safe enough, you would think just a bit of teaching it's not usually a a, a sort of a high risk thing and just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out what do you want with us Jesus of Nazareth have you come to destroy us he's just teaching (laughs) you know 
But he's filled with the Holy Ghost. The Spirit is upon him. He has been anointed. And there then is an explosion of demonic activity that you don't see. You see wee glimpses in the life of Saul in the Old Testament and maybe one or two others of evil spirits. But all of a sudden in the Gospels, it just seems to go, you know, all over the place. And as Jesus walks into town, it's like, you know, in a, in a Western movie or something where the, the new sheriff walks into town, Wyatt Earp or whoever, and they're going to clean up. And as they walk down the main street, all the scumbags and the saloons and the card houses and the brothels are all sort of peering out the windows. Who's he? You know, he's not going to come and, and take over our town. And it's like that with Jesus. As soon as the Spirit comes upon him, all these demonic heads lift up as if to say, what's going on here? And he is thrust into warfare. He says, be quiet. Come out of him. The spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. And the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. Have you ever faced anything that you just know is so full of hate? (laughs) So evil, so unprovoked or Seemingly unprovoked. You just know it's demonic. Do you want to be filled with the Holy Ghost? Do you want to be filled with the Spirit? Jesus, according to Luke's record of the the tempting in the wilderness, in Luke 4 verse 1, Jesus is full of the Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit into the wilderness, but when he comes out of the wilderness in Luke 4, 14, he's now functioning in the power of the Spirit. After that period of of battle and warfare and trial and temptation, he returns in the power of the Spirit. And Jesus repeatedly says, and in John 5, he says several times, the Son can do nothing by himself, of himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. So he comes out in the power of the Spirit. What's, he going to use, what's Jesus going to use this power to do? In, uh, in Matthew chapter 12, he's healing people. Verses 15 to 17 of Matthew 12. He withdraws. He tries to get some peace. And a large crowd followed him. And he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He has healed a whole bunch of people. It fulfills something that was spoken of by Isaiah. What was it that Isaiah said? Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I put my spirit on him. Why is Jesus healing people? How is Jesus healing people? The Holy Spirit is on him. The Holy Spirit is upon him. He's not just healing them. It is not good enough in terms of aligning ourselves to the scriptures to just say Jesus healed people because he was God. He was God. He healed people because the power of the Spirit was upon him. That's how he did it. He had power not only to heal, but he had power to teach. As I mentioned already in Mark 1, after he's cast out that demon, the people that are around say, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. There were lots of teachers, but they did not have authority like Jesus had. There was something about his words 
that carried authority that they had not heard before. Jesus explains it himself in John 6, 63. The words I have spoken to you are full of the Spirit. <laughs> His teaching, His words. And think back again to the first week of this series. We talked about the Ruach, the breath of God. How the breath of God coming out of His mouth propels forth the words coming out of His mouth. And Jesus he, he is full of the Spirit. He is anointed by the Spirit. And because of that, his words are full of the Spirit. His words have life and his words have authority. Was Jesus a good teacher before? because he was God? <laughs> he was God. But he taught with authority because of the Holy Spirit who was upon him. And back to these demons. In Matthew 12, there's a coming together of Jesus and the Pharisees where he has cast out a demon and the Pharisees say it's by Beelzebub the prince of demons that you're able to do this and Jesus comes back at them and says no it's actually by the spirit of God that I'm doing this did Jesus cast out demons because he was God he was God just going to keep saying it over and over again in case you walk out of here confused about my theology of Jesus he was God. He is God. He cast out demons by the Spirit of God. And he warned the Pharisees that for them to say that what he was doing was actually the work of Satan or because he was in league with Satan, he said to them, that's the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and you won't be forgiven that one. He didn't say it's the blasphemy against me. He didn't say, how dare you say to me that, that I am working in league with the devil. He said, how dare you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit and question who it is that's actually at work here. But notice again how often we are seeing the Spirit of God in the life of Jesus in spiritual warfare. Church, we don't talk about this enough. We don't pray about it enough. We don't think about it enough. You are hated, okay? Room full of people who are hated. I think to myself the odd time that at the minute, Mr. Putin is maybe the most hated man on earth. And then I think, no, God's people are the most hated people on earth because the demons hate us. <laughs> they despise us. And, and our lives filled with the Spirit are going to be lives of conflict and warfare against the enemy. So what about Jesus' crucifixion then? Was the Spirit involved there, according to the writer of Hebrews? Don't know who that was. But Hebrews 9, 14 then says that the, the blood of Christ, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God? The Spirit was active even in Jesus' crucifixion and in his offering of himself and of his blood for our sins. What about in his resurrection? You'll read about it in Romans and you'll read about it in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Christ suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. Unreal. The Spirit's everywhere. Everywhere. Did Jesus need the Holy Spirit? What about after the resurrection? In Acts chapter 1, it starts off, Luke wrote Acts, and he, he says, In my former book, Theophilus, 
I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, the ascension. After giving instructions in between the resurrection and the ascension, giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles. His teaching post-resurrection and prior to his ascension was through the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, he pours out the Spirit on the church. So let's summarize before we pull everything together. The Spirit is mentioned in the prophets in Isaiah The thing that's going to mark out this coming one who will change everything is an emphatic anointing of the Spirit. The forerunner, John the Baptist, filled with the Spirit from before birth. Jesus' own conception and birth, all to do with the Holy Spirit. His infancy and people like Simeon, filled with the Spirit. His baptism, the pronouncement, and his anointing in the Jordan with John the Baptist. Spirit just all over the place, everywhere. In... uh, His temptation in the wilderness, the Spirit active, driving him in, was with him, and he came out in the power of the Spirit. Then his own power to heal, to teach, to cast out demons, all connected with the Spirit. His crucifixion, his resurrection, and his post-resurrection teachings. Did Jesus need the Holy Spirit? (laughs) Did Jesus need the Holy Spirit? I would have answered years ago without thinking much. I would have just said, how dare you say that? Jesus was God and Jesus is God and he didn't need anything else. But the gospel writers, I think, beg to differ in terms of what Jesus needed. They would agree that he was God and they would agree that he is God. But they would say that he needed the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, why did they link the Spirit to all of these things that Jesus did? And I would go so far as to say that if you don't agree that Jesus needed the Holy Spirit during his life and ministry, then I forbid you from celebrating Christmas because you don't believe in the incarnation. And I love Christmas because I know what I'm celebrating. I'm celebrating the incarnation. I'm celebrating not only that the Word was with God, which we all agree on and that the word was God that we all agree on but I'm celebrating that the word became flesh and needed the Holy Ghost to do the things that he did if he didn't if Jesus did not need the spirit then the incarnation like how do you explain it if If he didn't need the Spirit to heal and to teach and to cast out demons and in his crucifixion and in his resurrection and in his temptation, if he did not need the Spirit, then what does it mean that the Word became flesh? Did he really become man? Because if he really became man, but then cheated by flicking the God switch every now and again and doing the God stuff and then flicking it off again, the incarnation's a bit of a a bit of a ruse. It's a bit of a a bit of a I don't know what the word is like, but he didn't become man. If he didn't then need the Spirit. Do you get me? If Jesus became flesh, then he needed the Spirit to do the things that he did. He did great things. And then he says something in John 14 as we draw to a close. He teaches a lot about the Spirit in John 14 and John 16. And he says one of those things that causes you just to do a double take when you're reading your Bible. Very truly, that is, 
you know, old language King James might be verily, verily, or truly, truly. In, he, in Greek, it's amen, amen. Right? In other words, listen. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Now, how could he say that to the disciples if he was doing all his stuff, all his works, just because he was God? How could he then say to a bunch of messed up men, you're going to do the stuff that I've done? That wouldn't be fair, because they couldn't. If he was doing it as God, then how could they do it? (laughs) Okay? Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And then this is the bit that causes the double take. They will do even greater things than these. He says to this bunch and to us, you're going to do greater things than I did. Now, if that doesn't mess with your head when you read that for the first time or the tenth time, I don't know. It messes with me. When I think of what Jesus did, and then I see this, you're going to do greater things. Really? You know? can, you, can you explain that, Jesus? How can this be? And he goes on in, in the verse at the end to say, because I am going to the Father. And then you're like, that doesn't help. <laughs> you know, Guys, look at all the stuff that I've done. Those who believe in me will do the same stuff. In fact, you will do greater things because I'm leaving. What? <laughs> you know? Give us a bit more, Jesus. Come on. What's going to happen when you go to the Father? A couple of verses later, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor. That's how you're going to do the greater things. And I think the greater things are in magnitude, scope, global reach. I don't think anybody's going to do anything greater than raising Lazarus from the dead in terms of a one-off hit. It's the magnitude. It's the multiplication. More. I will ask the Father, he will give you another counselor to help you. Then we need help. (laughs) And be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Another counselor, another counselor. In Greek, the word that's used here for another, like if I make something and then make another one, the question might be, is, is the second one different from the first or is it the same as the first? Is it another one that's a wee bit different or is it another one that's the same? In Greek, the word that's used here literally means another of the same kind. So Jesus says, I am going to the Father, but I'm going to send another like me of the same kind. Another. And then this word counselor, everyone who knows enough Greek to be dangerous with it knows the word parakletos. Parakletos. And in, in Greek, para means alongside to be alongside somebody. And kledos means called. So parakletos means one called alongside to help. One called alongside to help. That's how the Holy Spirit is described. That's how we're going to do greater things. And as I've said already, I like to sort of, I like to expand. Are you cold? Put the heat on. <laughs> Please. Can we? Um, I like to expand your thinking. I don't want you to have a sort of mental statement of faith that says, you know, you must be baptized of the Spirit and it's evidenced by speaking in tongues. I've said already, you know, being baptized or filled with the Spirit will be evidenced by spiritual warfare. And I want to tell you that this, this sort of just really hit me yesterday morning, thinking about it, thinking about this word, parakletos, 
one called alongside to help. Apparently, it's, it can be a military term. It, it, it can be the guy who carries the resources to the front line of the battlefield to give them to the soldiers, replenish their, their food, their supplies, their munition, whatever. One called alongside to help. And I thought, could it be that the ministry of walking alongside another human being to help them is one of the most spirit-filled and spirit-honoring things that you can do? If the Holy Spirit is the one called alongside to help, and we are filled with the Holy Spirit, then if we draw alongside another human being to help them, surely that is one of the most beautiful spirit-filled acts that you can actually do to walk with somebody, to mentor, to disciple, to listen, to bless, to counsel, to encourage, whatever it may be. Widen your view of the Holy Spirit. Some of you have walked with people. <laughs> You've walked alongside people. And you, you maybe have thought to yourself, it's only one person. It's only two, three, six people. It's so small. It's so Spirit-filled. It's so spirit-filled to walk alongside another person and help them. It's a beautiful ministry of the Holy Ghost. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Spiritual warfare, walking alongside others to help them. Jesus goes on to say that the Spirit lives with you and he will be in you. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. Not that he'll be available. He'll be at the end of the phone. And call him, you can WhatsApp him and then wait 48 hours for customer services to get back to you. No, he will live with you and he will be in you. And what will he do? Flipping over to John 16, he will glorify me. That's what the Holy Spirit does. I want to tell you the mark of the Spirit in a believer, they will be obsessed with Jesus. Not obsessed with a, 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 a sort of a handful of spiritual gifts. Not obsessed with any other sort of talents or abilities or whatever. Obsessed with Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. That's what he does. If the Holy Spirit is in me, I'll be obsessed with Jesus. I'm sick and tired of narrow views of the Holy Spirit <laughs> and what he does and who he is. He will glorify me. That means he will cause people to be obsessed with Jesus. Some of the marks that I've gone through today of what it means to be filled with the Spirit might be a wee bit different from what you've heard before. Being obsessed with Jesus, drawing alongside to help people and engaging in spiritual warfare. Those, you know, without leaving the Gospels, there we're seeing three marks of a Spirit-filled life. And I really hope that middle one encourages you because I know some of you guys, a lot of you are awesome at it. And you maybe belittle it and you maybe think it's not that big a deal. And I want to tell you, you're full of the Holy Ghost. You're full of the Holy Ghost and you're honoring God. Greater things. On the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and preached and 3,000 people were born again. Jesus never saw a response like that. Greater things. Magnitude number. Paul saw the church move from Israel to Europe. Jesus never saw that. And we saw it, of course he saw it, and of course he was in it, and he, you know, all over it. <laughs> but during his life and ministry, he didn't see that. 
Paul saw it, greater things. William Wilberforce saw slavery abolished. Jesus didn't see that. Greater things. John Wesley saw revival sweep through um, the United Kingdom and at the same time North America with, with um, oh goodness, his name's gone, Edwards. Jesus didn't see those things. Jesus saw the gospel in Capernaum and Galilee and Jerusalem. Greater things. Pete Gregg, Linda mentioned earlier, Pete Gregg has seen 24-7 prayer rooms pop up all over the planet. Jesus never saw that. Greater things. Filled with the Spirit and doing greater things. What names will be added to that list? You know, What will we do? What are the great things that you are doing that you don't even realize that they're great things? Things that you couldn't do without the power of the Spirit. Father, we thank you for your Spirit. Jesus, you're awesome. Father, I ask, Lord, that you will seal up truth in our hearts. That there'll be no confusion about what has been said today about your awesome Son. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the word relied on the Holy Ghost for everything that he did. And then left and poured out the Holy Ghost on us. So that we could do greater things. Oh Lord, let this be an encouragement to us. Thank you for the people in this room who are awesome at coming alongside others to help them. And it never is noticed but it's noticed in heaven. And it doesn't seem that important, but it shows that the Spirit is there and at work. Thank you, Father, for those who are, feel like they're continually facing off against darkness and wondering why so many discouraging things happen one after another and why there's no relief. Let us take encouragement. That's a sign of the Holy Spirit within us that the darkness does not like it. And Father, may we all become obsessed with Jesus. May that be the identifying mark of your people. The Spirit will glorify you and the Spirit is in us, so we will glorify you. We love you, Lord. We long to see fresh outpouring, fresh filling, awakening, stirring, swimming in the river, Lord. Come and breathe upon us, we pray, with your life-giving ruach, breath of the Spirit. Come and fill us afresh. Make us thirsty. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.